Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525. Hey guys, it's Morgan Zeggers. Thanks for tuning back into the show. If you haven't yet, hit subscribe. Today we're doing another round of Q&A because uh, I'm still on the road. So it just works out for my schedule. So thank you for submitting the questions. And that being said, let's get into it. Okay, before we get into the show, I want to thank our friends at Epic TV for sponsoring the show. Epic TV is a censorship-free video platform with original news programs like Crossroads, The Larry Elder Show, Facts Matter, American Thought Leaders, and documentaries investigating critical issues that are not covered anywhere else. Now, you guys, I've been on multiple. I've been on Crossroads. I've been on American Thought Leaders multiple times. My friend Josh is the host of that show. I think he's been the host of it whenever I'm on it, at least. And I've just had such a really great time whenever I work with this company. So I really encourage you guys to check it out. I personally trust the Epic Times because they're unbiased. Okay, they they report important news that other media outlets ignore. They focus on clear, fact-based journalism without the spin and hidden agendas. They report the facts and they trust the viewers to bring proper discernment and arrive at their own conclusions. And I really like that. And then last, they're resilient. They have been attacked so much. I mean, I've been doing media work with them for years now. And despite the attacks from many sides, defamation from other media, thugs burning their printing presses and assaulting their journalists, the Epic Times continues to dedicate themselves to reporting the truth. So if you're looking for an unbiased, truthful, and resilient news source, check them out today. We have a special offer for our viewers. Just sign up and start watching. No credit card required, no strings attached. If you decide to subscribe within 14 days, it's only a dollar for two months. So go to watchepic.com slash Morgan and subscribe. That's watch E-P-O-C-H dot com slash Morgan. I cannot tell you enough how much I've loved these guys for years. So I highly encourage them. I get a lot of questions, you guys, from all of you about where to get your news, just straight up facts, straight up current events reporting. And this is usually my answer. So check them out. Okay, so first question. Somebody said, I know you're building a list of products without crap in them. (laughs) Are you doing a men's list as well? Oh, interesting. That's a good question. I would say, first of all, right now, the differences between men's products and women's products that you see at the regular drugstore, wherever you're going to get them, the only difference really is just the packaging. And of course, the artificial fragrances and even potentially dyes in them that make them smell or look more manlier or more feminine so they can be marketed to men or to women. (laughs) And at the end of the day, they're both just as bad because the ingredients inside of them are very, very harmful. I've heard some speculation that a lot of the men's stuff is actually a little bit better because it's a little more natural, whereas the woman's stuff is always filled with this really, really nasty artificial fragrance a bit more than guys, but I can't confirm that one. I would just say that when we're looking for solutions, 
sometimes these companies that offer the good stuff, you know what I mean? The stuff that I want to use, it's often just for like unisex, unigender, whatever the term is. And it's available for everybody. It's just literally not like hot pink or baby pink for for women that smells like flowers. And then it's not dark gray or black or like dark green tailored to men and telling you it smells like wood when in reality, like it's just a bunch of mixtures of chemicals. So that's the really good thing here is it's actually quite simple once you find a good company as well. When I'm making my list, it's not like I'm just making a product list of feminine products. Like I'm not just looking at makeup brands and stuff like that to replace. These replacements need to take place not only in your pantry and not only in your clothing. And we've discussed these things quite a lot, but I'm still looking for for opportunities to find new brands that I support in these things. But it's also things as simple as your shampoo, your conditioner, your body wash, your lotion and moisturizer, your toothpaste. You definitely like things like mouthwash and basically every health item that we've been taught to use on a daily basis. And so this affects and this list will benefit both men and women. And that's what I'm really hoping for. So I just haven't really put out many specific brands yet because I don't want to highlight anything too much when I haven't tried them out. Like I'm still in the experiment phase two of trying to find what I like. Like not only just what is properly labeled and what has the good ingredients and what isn't filled with a bunch of bad stuff, but also the stuff that really works. You know what I mean? Like there's multiple steps for the testing and I don't want to be disingenuous and just be like, hey guys, I really love, I really love this because it has good, it has a good ingredients list on it, you know? So I, I'll come up with the list over time, but it's just kind of in the experimental phase. It's definitely tricky though. And what I've been learning too is like, there's so many laws and regulations that create loopholes for companies to be able to market in misleading ways. And so this goes not just for food, but with products. Like you can say, oh, I have organic tampons. And that makes a woman like me go like, yeah, I don't want those nasty chemicals in my tampons. That's what I want. I want an organic tampon. This is what I've been looking for because tampons have so many nasty things hidden in them. And then guess what? It turns out that it's still the company is labeling it as organic tampons, but getting away with having titanium dioxide inside the tampons still. And so it might be labeled organic tampons, but they can get away with having in the ingredients label still titanium dioxide. And so there's so many steps. It's more about building awareness. And um, I'm trying to jump through those hoops right now, too. (laughs) Someone asked, what are your thoughts on teaching folks how to get involved in the local government? Practical solutions only, please. (laughs) I like the the upfront style of that question. Um, Practical solutions only. Okay, so if we're looking at this as conservatives, I'm going to assume that you're probably in the GOP or you vote Republican. Uh, Right now, let's look at it from the party system and party structure first. We have a lot of problems with the structure of the Republican Party. And that's all the way from Washington, D.C. down to each individual town. It's not like we can just walk in and be like, hey, we demand new leadership in the national level Republican Party. Okay, it's I get it. That's not practical. And I like to be practical. What we do see, though, I'm not sure how many of you guys listening will understand this or have heard of this before, but like there's an intricate structure to the Republican Party and same thing to the Democrats. But I'm just kind of assuming here, I'm going to be honest, that you guys listening probably aren't interested in restructuring the Democratic Party. Now, if you think about the local, most, most local level of the Republican Party to you, it would be the position of precinct committee person. 
each neighborhood is basically considered a precinct in your town. Your town is broken into a certain number of precincts, a certain number of sections, and each precinct committee person within that town committee is in charge of being the leader of the neighborhood. Now this, if you think about it as like the most basic original intent of what this was all supposed to do, it makes a lot of sense, right? Like imagine you're in your neighborhood, think of what your neighborhood was like maybe growing up if you're in the suburbs or even like if you're in the country and you've got like a handful of roads that are all kind of in the same region, it's like, okay, one person is in charge of that neighborhood, that area of the town, and they're going to make sure that anybody that moves there, hey, welcome to the town. Here's a form to register to vote if you're interested. We have these committee member meetings if you ever want to come. We do this at the VFW. We have these community gatherings. If you ever need me, feel free to call. Basically like a welcome committee. That would be a really great concept. And so uh, that's kind of what it used to be like too. Not only do they do that and they serve kind of as that community leader, but from the Republican perspective, you also have them in charge of making sure that their area of the neighborhood gets all of their signature petitions signed for the candidates because to get on the ballot every year, each candidate needs a lot of signatures. I'm talking hundreds or thousands, depending on what office they're running for. And so the leader of that neighborhood, the precinct committee person, is in charge of bringing those petitions and you know corralling any volunteers that will join them, but they can usually do it on their own because if each neighborhood is taken care of and you combine them, you have that that proper number of signatures. And you also work with the candidates and there's other resources. But in general, that committee leader for that neighborhood will be responsible for going to his neighbors and asking them to sign the form. So it works in a way where if you're the leader for many years and you're actively leading in your community, then your neighbors are going to know like, oh, it's June or up. It's the month where it's time to sign the candidate petition. So we're going to probably see John come by or Morgan's going to stop by this week probably with the petition form. And I'm going to sign it like I always do because she's in charge of the signatures. And it becomes kind of an annual thing, right? Like they they expect that because you've created uh, a process for them and you just let them know like, hey, I'm your go-to person. So if we all (laughs) cared enough And we're settled enough in our town where it's like, okay, yeah, I actually really want to be in charge of my neighborhood's involvement and make sure that everybody is signing the proper petitions. And then not only that, everybody knows who the candidates are. They door knock when it's time, like when we have, when we're past the primary, when we have our general election Republican candidate, we go back to our neighbors in that neighborhood and we say, hey guys, here's the candidate slate coming up on election day. Election day is this date. Here's a little palm card with the stances of our candidates. Do you have a plan to vote? Are you good? Do you need a ride? Anything like that's kind of the whole point of the precinct committee person to lead that neighborhood to make sure that they are ready. They're prepared. They've done everything that they need. And on Election Day, they will show up. The Republicans will show up and then any independents on the street, you know what, they can kind of talk to them and be like, hey, why are you feeling this way versus the other? Is there anything I can answer for you? Any questions? So that's that most local level of the Republican Party. And the Democrats have it too. But taking that to the next step, every committee person then joins in and they are committee people, a part of the town Republican Party, the town committee for the GOP. You have town meetings, you discuss the different precincts, you try and fill any empty slots for the precincts, you fundraise, you do what you can, you run your candidates for the local office for any town officials, any school board positions, stuff like that, and you pay attention. I mean, that's a very valuable thing to do. So if you didn't know that, 
And if you don't know who your precinct committee person is, there's a fat chance that you probably don't even have one because a lot of towns can barely even fill the precinct committee person positions. But they actually are quite impactful. So then you have all these town committees, right? But what are towns a part of? They're a part of counties. So the next step is the county Republican Party, the county committee. And all of the towns with all of their precinct committee members as committee people in those town committees, they form together and they meet as counties and they elect county level leadership for their Republican Party. County level Republican leadership is also responsible for fundraising. They are also responsible for voting. Each town votes for candidates. Usually what happens is when you have countywide officials or people that are representing your county and multiple other counties, if you're running for Congress, for example, and you're trying to represent two counties, you have to go to each of those counties and meet with them. What the meetings will be like are representatives from every town Or you might have to meet with multiple of the towns on their own and then at the county committee, all of the towns will come together and they will declare, I am going to stand with, for example, Ron DeSantis for governor. I am going to stand or they'll say we as a town, we have decided, we have voted as members of our committee, our town GOP, we will be putting our support behind Ron DeSantis for governor or Morgan for Congress, whatever it is. And sometimes the towns disagree, and then whoever gets the most votes of the towns, that's how the county support is decided. But for the most part, a lot of this is decided in the early stages. So the candidates want to befriend the town GOPs. They want to befriend the leaders at the county level because that just kind of makes the process quick and easy, and it makes it so that there isn't really a primary. Instead, that that vetting process of candidates is done in the many months leading up to when that county will actually vote to support or not support that candidate. It kind of avoids the drama, stuff like that. But with primaries, things can get a little sticky, right? And so it just allows you the opportunity to meet with the people that will help you get the endorsement of the actual Republican Party so you aren't like the challenging candidate for the Republican position in the primary and stuff like that if you just connect at the local level. It also shows you guys how powerful it is to be a member of the town committee and the county committee, especially county leadership, because they are all making the decisions of who are we supporting as a party and who are we sending into the general election because we want them to win the primary first. So from that, now what do counties create? Counties all formed together, they are a part of a state. And Kind of like how the towns are part of the county and then the county has elected leaders, the same thing happens at the state level. So all the county leaders come together and they choose leadership. They support leadership, often voting for it, uh, at the state level. And so each state has Republican Party leadership. And then on an even larger level, all the states then form together and they have representation and they form into this national level Republican Party. And they have leaders that are elected like the RNC chairman, chairwoman, whoever it is. So getting to how you actually have serious effective change in your town in terms of showing up on election day, in terms of converting voters, registering voters, and welcoming people to your town to make sure that they don't, you know, move from California and then think, oh, I'm going to move to this beautiful red town in this red county, in this red state, and I'm going to start voting blue. Wouldn't it be nice if we had a great welcome committee of a kind neighbor that was like, hey, Welcome to the town. Why'd you move here? We're really happy to have you. I don't know if you knew this, but we have this committee here in our town and I'm the leader for this neighborhood. If you have any questions, let me know. But we are meeting on Thursday at this like family barbecue if you ever want to come. You know what I mean? Where it's like 
if we had that kind of communication as neighbors, I think we would greatly benefit and it's something that's totally lost. At the same time, beyond the party system, you guys, so thinking away from the Republican Party, we can also look at it from the most important thing being local government, right? That's where the school board stuff is. That's where really the highest levels of regulation and restrictions of freedom that we see that directly impact us, that's where we are really hit. Like my favorite thing is, I think a libertarian said it, but it was like the greatest thing, the greatest case for libertarianism is like the restrictions on freedom that are witnessed at the local level of government. And I couldn't agree more. It's so frustrating to go to like a town government meeting because they are so out of touch usually with just how our our country was founded, the intention of government to serve people instead of becoming a hindrance. But yeah, sorry, I'm getting off topic. But getting back to why local government is so important and involvement there is so important, it's it's where we can monitor the school board members and what they plan to do with schools. It's where we can monitor curriculum in our schools. And in the larger sphere, it's where we can monitor town or city government. And that's where a lot of the stuff impacts us on a daily basis. That's where a lot of the bureaucratic shutdowns and stuff, especially during COVID, were actually coming from. I mean, it's really, really sick to see how these towns complied with federal government non-scientific demands to keep their towns, their own people shut down. Really, really nasty. Okay, guys, before the next question, MyPillow is excited to bring you their biggest bedding sale ever and just in time for Christmas. For a limited time, get the Giza Dream bed sheets for as low as $29.98, a set of pillowcases for only $9.98, and rejuvenate your bed with a MyPillow mattress topper for as low as $99.99. They also have blankets in a variety of sizes, colors, and styles. They even have blankets for your pets. Get duvets, quilts, down comforters, body pillows, bolster pillows, and so much more. All the biggest discounts of the year are happening now. They are also extending their money-back guarantee for Christmas until March 21st, 2023, making them the perfect gifts for your family, your friends, and everyone you know. Go to MyPillow.com, use promo code MORGAN, or call 1-800-738-8374, and you'll get discounts on all the MyPillow bedding products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets for as low as $29.98, and get all your shopping done while quantities last. Thanks, guys. Okay, next question I got is, uh, what's your advice on how to meet other people with similar values in ultra-blue states? Hmm, this is a good question. So this kind of reminds me of dating. Like, they say, you know, think about the qualities and the characteristics and the the lifestyle that your ideal spouse would have and then put yourself in the places where you could potentially run into someone like that. Because it, chances are, if you're just randomly walking on the sidewalk of some random place, you're not going to really be able to meet someone that matches all of those expectations that you have for them. Like, how are you going to know that they're conservative? It's really fundamental, basic stuff. And so like, yeah, you might be physically attracted to them if you walk by them on the sidewalk. But what if you meet them and then you go on a few dates and then you realize, oh, well, this was kind of a shot in the dark that didn't work. And so instead, that's why people encourage you to like go out and do the hobbies that you love. Make sure that you're meeting people in the spheres that you want to be in. So whether that's at church or I, my ideas have always been like, go do the hobbies that you enjoy because it's a lot nicer when your lifestyle matches up with your spouse. You don't want to be obsessed with completely opposite things. And that can totally work sometimes. I get that. But doesn't it, isn't it kind of nice when you guys like to do the same things and you have the same kind of outlook on life? Like if you're outdoorsy and you want to do certain things and have a property one day and you know, maybe homestead like me, then do you really want to go meet a downtown city person that wants to live in downtown Dallas? You know, it's completely different. 
And so you you might have completely different views, especially for the future, and it can bring complications. So I, for example, like just based on my kind of style and a lot of people's more conservative, Republican, or at least just, you know, independent, self-reliant, not really big fans of government or government dependency or any of this real liberal woke stuff, I would encourage you to first of all ask yourself what you like to do and then lean into that. Like don't be a fake person. But some ideas for where you can meet other young people would be like outdoors activities, farm, rodeo community stuff. Like if you go to the rodeo at night, or you can go two-stepping, hunting and shooting communities, like if you're in a gun club or gun ranges or archery ranges and stuff like that, like really think outside the box and think where would other young people go (laughs) if they were doing this kind of stuff. Um, On top of that, of course, you have church. And then I would also recommend looking into if your area has young Republicans places. And then Turning Point USA also has chapters, sometimes for adults. They're not just for high school and college chapters anymore. And so sometimes they just have more so like community hubs and speakers and stuff. But I promise you, like if you put yourself in those places, you're going to meet not just romantic partners like a husband or a wife, but you'll meet friends. And I would say that the biggest suggestion I have is to just more so form a community. And if you're looking for friends, then you can find those friends in that way and they can connect you to more and more and more. And it's just more like natural networking without forcing it. You're just finding people that like to do the same things as you, even if you're in a blue state. And then if you're somebody who's looking for a husband or a wife, then you kind of have this new network of people that have gotten to know you, you know them, and perhaps they're like, you know what, I know this person, this girl or this boy that would be really good if you would like me to set you up. And so it just kind of happens naturally if you allow it, but you've got to put yourself out there and put yourself in those positions. And I know it's hard in red, uh, blue states to find people that align with you because it could be really difficult, but I swear they're out there and you just have to get a little creative with it. You know what I mean? Okay. Next question. Why has humanity seemed to have lost its moral compass? <laughs> I mean, this is like a big question and I don't want to be some little podcast philosopher. I'm going to try not to to do anything too serious right now. But putting it very plainly, I think it's because we abandoned God. I I am fascinated by these statistics, but even Pew Research this is a very simple one. It says a new study from Pew Research Center shows that as of 2020, the number of Americans who identify as Christian is about 64%. 50 years ago, that number was 90%. And if that trend continues, Pew predicts that Christians could become a minority in just a few decades. I've been kind of upfront about this, but I personally just didn't grow up in a very religious, faith-based household. I just grew up in a secular way, right? I was baptized as a baby, but had never been to church, had never done any of that stuff all growing up. And then I started going when I was in college. And then I moved down to the South when I graduated college in 2020 or after I graduated college and I did it in 2020. So for me, what I've noticed, one of the craziest things is this major difference between the Bible Belt and the Northeast where it's freezing and cold and (laughs) very secular. And that difference is mostly how secularized it really is. So one example is I was talking to this mom in Texas, and she was explaining to me like, yeah, it's been this weird trend ever since people started moving here in 2020 from blue states, like from New York and from, from California in our neighborhood. We never used to have Halloween decorations because to a lot of Christians, you're celebrating evil. 
on that day? Why would you decorate your house with deadly items? Why would you decorate your house with skulls and blood and gore and all these things that represent true evil? It's just not right. I had never heard of that concept. But she was from a situation where like her neighbors, her entire community, they were like, why would we do that to our homes? Like we want goodness and light and righteousness. That was a foreign concept to me because in my secular neighborhood in upstate New York, every house was covered in neon orange and green and purple lights and fake spider webs and just completely decked out as if it was Christmas, but for Halloween. And I didn't realize even that people felt that way about Halloween. It just didn't even cross my mind. I didn't know it was a thing. So over the last couple of years, I had been learning more over the debates between Christians and non-Christians and stuff like that of like, should we celebrate this and, and whatnot? And it was really interesting to me. And I didn't realize how serious it was until I had that conversation with the Texas mom. But that was just one example of like, well, people really live different lifestyles. And I think what I've noticed the most, it's not something like oh, Halloween decorations and whatnot, but it's more so just this deep sense of purpose and service and joy that comes from being Christian that comes from having faith in God, a relationship with God. And I can't really put my finger on it. And I hate to generalize. I don't mean to do this, but I truly believe that the people that I've met and the general communities that I've met who practice going to church every Sunday and who raise their children up with a certain understanding of their self-worth as individuals, and they want to protect the most innocent in the world. And they want to stand for these things and they think that this world, they're just passing through and they're they're serving others constantly with something in mind in this fashion. That brings them a certain level of joy and ease and calmness. I can't really put my finger on it. It's just not something that I would say is present in the Northeast. And I'm only talking about those two areas because I'm I've only personally experienced those two. I've lived in both. And it really did open my eyes to the fact that like, wow, the Bible Belt gets, you know, they get such a bad reputation and they get made fun of. Like there's all these incest jokes about like you marry your sister and stuff like that. And I just never really understood it. But you hear that kind of stuff all the time in pop culture and in Hollywood and movies. And then when I finally experienced the lifestyle differences and the mentality, the core values, the morals of these people because they know that they have a greater purpose in this world than serving themselves. I was just blown away. Okay. And so that was really something. On top of that, I think the Bible, there's so many purposes of it, right? But I think the Bible gives us such a great path on how to behave as human beings, how to act, what roles to look forward to, what roles to champion and take on, even though they're stressful. And for me as a young woman, when I read something like Proverbs 31, I was blown away, like blown away. And I was talking to someone about this recently, but I think for me, it was like, wow, thousands of years of people have read the same book, thousands of years, women throughout all these thousands of years have read this section, Proverbs 31 of the Bible and said, this is what I will strive to be. This is a noble, honest, genuine, hardworking woman, woman of God, and I will strive to be it. And that continuation of reaching that goal of Proverbs 31 woman has been passed from generation to generation again for thousands of years. And it's something as, it's, I mean, if you've read it, it's so, so simple. 
but it's been something that's passed through generations. And it really blows my mind. It's like we are all so similar, yet so different from the people who came thousands of years before us. But these, this moral guide, this behavioral guide in terms of what to do and how to act and how to treat others has been so preciously consistent. And um, I sometimes, this is a little weird, sometimes I think about it of like, what if this is all just super wrong? Like, what if we're completely wrong? Because I'm an overthinker. Half the time I'm like thinking about the relationship between God's will and human nature and free will. And it blo- <laughs> I can't wrap my head around it, <laughs> but um, I think about it way too much, right? I'm a big overthinker. So as a Christian, I'm definitely an overthinker, but not in a way of like, oh, maybe it's all fake. No, I completely am immersed in it. But at the same time, I'm like, even if this say we did, like the atheists always say, you fell for some book that was written 2000 years ago. I'm kind of like, dang, what a book. (laughs) You know, it's like, I fully believe that it's real. But even if it wasn't, it's like, it's still such a beautiful message. Like, I want it to be real. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? I don't even know if that's bad. Like, am I allowed to say that? I'm not saying that I don't think it's real. I totally believe it's real. But even if it wasn't, I would just want it to be real based on how great of a moral guide it is. And this is, you know, let me go on a little something too. What really bothered me before I was Christian, before I was baptized, before I truly understood, because there was years in my life up until just the last handful of years where I finally learned, I didn't even know the difference between the Old Testament and the New. Like, I just thought it was the Bible. I didn't understand the relationship between Judaism and Christianity. I didn't know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were the, you know, the gospel accounts, the stories of when he was here talking to us, giving us very specific instruction, right? (laughs) I didn't know these really very basic concepts. And I had heard you hear other people that aren't Christian making fun of it and talking bad about it. And they say, well, there's murder in the Bible and there's this in the Bible and there's this bad thing in the Bible and there's this. And it didn't really hit me until now. Of course, I know the whole story and I'm like, wait a second, you're referencing the Old Testament And the whole point of the Old Testament and the New Testament is that humans are so such a big letdown to God because we keep behaving like this, because we fall to our vices, we fall to sin, we fall to human nature. We are so fallible. We are not perfect. We're far from it and we'll never be. We're always going to be sinners. That's the whole point. And so for you to look at Christians and make fun of them by referencing bad things that happen in the Old Testament, you're kind of making the case. It's like, exactly. And, and that it's something where it kind of, I allowed them before I had a better understanding of it, of it myself, I allowed these random people that are very anti-God to describe it for me and push me away from it before I even knew. So that's why it's like, for me, knowing how Morgan was before she understood the sacrifice that was made, before I understood the story of Christianity, how it all happened. I want so badly for every young girl and boy, but I'm just, you know, I'm a woman for every young girl out there to know what happened, to know what is in that book. Do you get me? It's like that alone could keep me going until I'm dead. That little mission that makes me so passionate. And it doesn't, I'm like, I'm not interested in doing some big grandiose thing, but it's like, if I could in every single possible way, try and reach young girls with that message before they 
get caught up in the nasty web of what the world is telling them and of what anti-God people are telling them. It's telling them this nasty lie of what empowerment looks like in 2022, which is a total scam. I will do whatever it takes to have the awkward and harsh, not harsh, but just, you know, I'll get a little aggressive. I don't care to have those conversations with young women. I'll do what it takes. You know what I mean? Like that. I don't even know what to say. I have a podcast for a living and I don't even know what to say right now. It just really gets me going. So what were we even talking about? Oh, (laughs) moral compass. So that's that. Okay, let's move on. And with that being said, you guys, let's end the episode here. It was nice to chat with you. Thanks for tuning in. If you haven't yet, hit subscribe. Sorry, I have hiccups. And I will see you on Friday. Okay? Okay.